This is Behind the Curtain at L.A. Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lauritsen. On this edition of the podcast, I'm joined by L.A. Opera music director James Conlon, who is celebrating 10 years with L.A. Opera and who is conducting the season opening new production of Verdi's first Shakespearean opera, Macbeth. Conlon will tell us why Macbeth is one of Verdi's great operas, how Verdi was taking an artistic risk by writing Macbeth, and if it's okay to say the name of the opera Macbeth in a theater. Welcome once again to the podcasts, Maestro James Conlon, uh, music director now for 10 seasons uh, at Los Angeles Opera. Congratulations uh, on that uh, great milestone. Thank you, Brian. I'm very happy, of course. What uh, have you uh, seen in your time here that uh, gives you uh, joy and excitement for the future? What have you... Um, sort of boxes you have checked along the way, uh, goals that you wanted to accomplish during your tenure so far here at Los Angeles Opera in these 10 years? Well, I usually believe that the past is an indication of the future. When it comes to excitement and pleasure and joy, I've gotten excitement, pleasure, and joy out of the whole time. And so I believe there's no reason for it not to continue in that manner. Uh, particular productions, performances that uh, you hold dear to your heart? Obviously, I would imagine the Ring Cycle and uh, the Recovered Voices Project. Well, certainly those are two of the highlights, the Ring and all of the Wagner Wagner Cycle, which I hope we will finish sometime. You know, I don't look at it as special moments. My purpose as a music director is to provide the audience with an an assurance that whatever they're going to hear, they're going to hear an orchestra in top shape, a chorus in top shape, and a, and a production that is musically absolutely ready and prepared. You know, you can't always know if a singer is going to be sick or if the singer you had might cancel. That you can never guarantee. But I want the minimum to be that they're going to get a great performance from the orchestra and the chorus. And that has been happening, and that is my, that's my goal. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the chorus, and of course I think of, of Grant Gershon, who's done an amazing job here at Los Angeles Opera. And uh, working with him and working with, with Placido, how is that uh, team functioning these days? Well, I mean, we love each other. Everybody loves each other and ad- admires each other. Um, so when you've got respect and also a good personal chemistry, uh, you can all do your best. And that's not just for the three of us. It goes for the whole theater. So this season opens uh, with a Verdi opera. Uh, Verdi, of course, uh, always close to your heart, uh, and we've we've come to uh, just relish your Verdi interpretations here in Los Angeles. Um, this is Macbeth, his first Shakespearean opera. Obviously, Verdi's music is so important in your career. Um, what about this opera? What about Macbeth for you? I love Macbeth. I think it's one of the great, great operas. And my own story goes back so far, I hate to tell you that, but it happens to be the opera of which I have conducted more productions than any other opera. 
don't ask me why or how that has happened because it's not what you would think. You would think, okay, well, it must be Boehm or Traviato or something like this, but it is Macbeth. I conducted it for the first time in 1973. It was one of the first jobs I had, uh, that one happening the Washington Opera. And uh, it was to become the first engagement of an opera that I had in Europe, and I happened to have been invited to the Scottish Opera, appropriately enough, from Macbeth, by Peter Hemmings, who we all know and love, and who was at the time director of the Scottish Opera. And then I went on to I, I went on to do six other productions. This will be my eighth. And very shortly, although not presently, will also be the Verdi Opera, which will have more performances. It's, it's going to outrace Falstaff and Otello in the course of these seven performances now. And I think it's very interesting and appropriate that the three Shakespeare operas are at the top of that particular list in my own life uh, because they are great in very different ways. Falstaff and Otello being the last operas are clearly the great masterworks, period. But Macbeth is often misunderstood. It's often not sufficiently appreciated for its meaning and significance. And it is a powerful opera, and it's an opera, I believe also, that is very much a conductor's opera. It has two protagonists. It does not have an antagonist. Or I should say it has three protagonists by Verdi's definition, Macbeth, Lady Macbeth, and the witches. The witches are a chorus, and they are one of the three main characters. The Gala years were the years where he was producing two and three operas a year by commissions, and he worked very, very hard, and there were times that he just simply was tired of it and tired of the conditions under which he had them. But help was coming, and it was not far off. Macbeth comes toward the end of those Gala years, But it's a giant step forward. And after the amazing successes of the 1850s, he could then do what he wanted. He had made enough money. He he was, by that time, the most celebrated composer in Italy, only in his 40s. But he could start to pick and choose. And the more opportunity he had to pick and choose, the more he did, the time expands. And that's why from... From the mid-50s on, he is able to make giant steps regularly from opera to opera because he had the time to reflect and make his decisions what he wanted to do. Why is Macbeth important? I consider Macbeth the first giant step toward the future. What is that future? The future is the gradual dismantling of the conventions of the Bel Canto period of the first period of the 19th century. In other words, Rossini, Donizetti, Bellini. Verdi accepted this tradition, wrote in it, succeeded in it, um, but wanted to make music dramas, for lack of a, a better term, or using Wagner's term, not in the Wagnerian sense, but he wanted the drama to define the music and to define the structure. And the earlier structure was so strict... Uh, it had to, it had to adhere to rules, conventions, forms. Uh, every aria had to be in three parts. The operas were often constructed like a like a necklace of individual scenes. He was to change this, and the first opera, where, uh, although he felt this way before Macbeth, which was written in 1847, it was his first major step where he decided. Shakespeare comes first. 
and he was Shakespeare was his favorite poet. And so even in his he's in his early thirties when he writes this opera, he makes this giant step. The first version is written in eighteen forty seven. Three years ago for the Verdi Bicentenary, I had the most amazing experience, and it was to conduct the first version of Macbeth in the theater in which it was premiered, which is La Pergola in Florence. And that was an amazing experience. That was one of those eight eight productions, but the only one of the original version. Now, what's the difference between the two versions is that much after, in 1865, he revised it for Paris. He made some very important changes, taking some things out, putting other things in. He did include a ballet, but that was, of course, because he had to. Uh, We don't do the ballet here. But uh, there is music in that that is going to be very very mature. It's going to be right before the great period of the last work, or the later work, I should say later works, not the last works, but the later works, is about to emerge. Uh, But in this opera, he made very few compromises that he was usually forced to make. And this is why you can see how drama comes first in this opera. Did he have the freedom to not make those compromises? Or was this sort of, for lack of a better word, I guess a a risk-taking move for him as an artist to, to step outside of the structure and the convention and to say, no, we have to move forward, we have to do this a new way? At this point, yes, it was a risk. And he was still... He was still young enough to uh, have to worry about success or no success. He was often surprised when something wasn't a success. For instance, La Traviata was a fiasco. Hard to believe, but it was. Uh, Later on, as he got older, no. I mean, there were barely any risks, although he was always very conscious of the public's reaction to his operas. What about the use of of Shakespeare as dramatic material. Um, this is the first, um, and as you say, his other his other two uses of, of Shakespeare are his greatest masterpieces. What was his uh, relationship to the work of Shakespeare? How did he revere Shakespeare? What was the importance of, of Shakespeare in his life? Shakespeare had a, a great importance in Verdi's life. It was uh, Shakespeare was his favorite poet. He said so. And he said that his copy of Shakespeare was never far from his bedside. Believe it or not, 1847, the first version premiered in Florence, preceded the first performance in Italy of a Shakespeare play, which would pl- the play was was performed for the first time in 1849 in Milan, and partially because the public was curious about it, having heard about the opera. Not everybody saw it, but having heard about it. He saw in Shakespeare the ultimate genius that Shakespeare was, of drama, of humanity, of poetry, although Bear in mind, he's reading it all in translation. He's not reading it in English. Uh, But he got it, and he got it in such a way that he was not setting Shakespeare as an occasion to which one writes an opera. He was doing it out of an inner need to uh, express himself through the Shakespearean model. Those two operas, those three operas were his choice. One of the great, great uh, tantalizing ifs of history was that he began to work on King Lear. And he had an entire libretto done in the 1850s and started, and for whatever reason, no music is around. We don't know why, but he just abandoned it. A great pity, obviously. 
So we might have had four Verdi Shakespeare operas. We only have three, but the three we have are great. Mm-hmm. You mentioned this is uh, an opera without a love story. Um, what is that uh, in, in terms of the importance of, of this opera, that, that we have an opera that doesn't feature a, a man and a woman falling in love? That's a big deal because that was expected. And it was expected that there'd be a leading role for the tenor, and there was not. Uh, this is a loveless opera, as the play is a loveless play. It is a play about the tragedy of ambition, of the uh, circular trap that murder produces for the murderer. And uh, that's not an opera where you expect to hear uh, romantic. There is no romantic moment, and that is one of the reasons that it is so powerful, and it he found a new voice in this opera. What did he consider the most important scenes? The scene of Lady Macbeth and Macbeth right before and after the murder of Duncan, which is uh, in the dark of night and is a scene where he said he didn't want his singers to sing. He wanted to practically to declaim and to whisper. And La Pergola is such a small theater, you can see how that works. Mm-hmm. That is a duet that does not use any of the old forms. It is a complete piece in of itself, and everything responds to the text and to the situation. Another great scene is the sleepwalking scene, and the significance that in 1847, he wrote this uh, tour de force. He did not change one note in 1865. Mm. It was perfect in 1847, and when you know the opera and their two versions well, it is astonishing how much of the 1847 opera is still there. Uh, So those two scenes, I think, are high points. There is uh, the chorus of the Scottish refugees, which is from the second version. It's mature Verdi. It is one of the choral masterpieces. It's up there, and it's five minutes, like the Requiem and like the four sacred pieces, which are his very last pieces. Um, all in all, the uh, it has a dramatic, rhythmic dyna- dynamism that does not let up. There is not a boring moment in this opera. Yeah, as we have learned with Verdi, the the pacing, the everything about it, the architecture is just absolutely um, perfect. And it's so interesting to me. You know, that's so true with like Otello. It's just there's it's compact in a way that you just zip right through the opera and you realize, you know, when you've come to the end, like there was not a wasted note and not a wasted second in this opera. And it really you know, decades earlier with this one, it really feels like he's he's on his way there. Is is there, you know, that sense of pacing that is so typical of Verdi? Is that, you see that here in Macbeth sort of for the, maybe for the first time in its perfection? Not for the first time. And one can't argue that it is perfect because it isn't yet perfect. It's too young a work to be perfect. But that pacing is there. And that is absolutely, uh, it, it even some of the earlier music, which isn't as mature as you know he would have written. If we judge it by high standards, it's because Verdi set those standards. Right. They say that, that Otello and Falstaff are perfect and there's not a note too many and there's not a note too few. That's true. You can't say that of Macbeth, but you can't say that of many works. Uh, but you definitely see um, the process. And there are no holes in this opera that are, let us say, uh, boring or dull. Uh, there may be music that comes from from a less mature period uh, that doesn't stand up against later Verdi, but it's not dull. 
it's exciting. Mm -hmm. One of the other changes uh, that he made was he actually took the death aria away from Macbeth and ended with a very Shakespearean type of ending with the chorus coming in and the crowning of the new king. But there is a tradition to put the aria back in, and Placido and I agreed, and Darko Tresniak, who's our fantastic director, we all agreed we wanted it in there, and I've done it quite often in the productions I've done. So you get more for your money. You get both endings, in essence, and there's a very easy way for it to be reintegrated into the score, which has been done for some time. So does he die on stage then? Because usually he dies off stage, right? He dies on stage. Yeah. He dies on stage, and uh, and yet you still get the the epic or the history, you know, Shakespeare as a historian, you get the end with the chorus coming in and the crowning of the new king. Verdi's music uh, was used uh, for political purposes in Italy. Um, we think of the chorus of the, the Hebrew slaves, in particular from Nabucco. Um, was the chorus of the Scottish refugees, which has some similarities with that chorus from Nabucco, was that also used um, for for political purposes in Italy? Nothing ever has replaced uh, Vapensiero from Nabucco to this day. His first version has a chorus which is written in the same style and is a very, very beautiful chorus. And I would say I would almost regret it not being there if it weren't for the fact that he surpassed himself and wrote this much later chorus. Um, By the time 1865 had come around, of course, the first unification of Italy had already taken place in 1861. Um, and I don't think that was on his mind anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one can certainly imagine, again, the Italian public reacting to a people in bondage because that was still their perspective in 1847. Mm-hmm. What about for a, an audience of, of today, of 2016? We see relevance with these choruses of people rising up and speaking up against oppression. Is that something that you take into account a political climate or an activist movement, perhaps here in the United States, that uh, this music can can speak to? Well, this music speaks to all of those things, as does the play. I don't go looking for relevance. I'm, I'm actually a believer that the relevance is there. It's our job to see it. And so I perform Macbeth as I see and feel Macbeth, trying as best I am first to assume the mantle of Verdi and some somebody who serves Verdi, and this as a as, as a double uh, expression because there's Shakespeare behind it. One must remember, however, that you are doing the opera and not the play. All composers who have taken plays and pieces of literature have molded them uh, in their own form, and Verdi has done that. As well, he. I mean, he has made changes, but the changes he's have have made are they're usually first of all to make it more concise because all plays have to be shortened uh, to become operas. Uh, but he was a, uh, almost fanatic on the subject of concision. I mean, that was his trademark. It's got to be right to the point, and this Macbeth gets right to the point in many ways. Mm-hmm. Does Lady Macbeth have any redeeming qualities about her as a character? She sings about uh, washing her hands and can't getting her hands cleaned and, and can't get the spot out, uh, the, the blood out. Is there a sense of guilt in that moment of this opera? Um, is there any sense of remorse from Lady Macbeth, or is she just uh, evil all the way through? I think the sleepwalking scene is all about the breakdown of her 
ego and the recognition of what she has unleashed. And yes, definite remorse, but remorse to the point where it uh, literally has turned her crazy. In other words, she is now essentially psychotic and broken from her guilt, the opposite of Macbeth. They go in opposite directions. At the beginning, the witches cleverly speak to Macbeth's latent ambition, which he himself does not yet understand, nor would he necessarily have the strength to act on it himself. But she is the motor. She pushes him to it. And as soon as that has happened, as soon as that has unleashed in him, that monster will grow and he will become more and more hardened and cruel and a murderer. And he will commit murder after murder in order to uh, protect himself. And he will end up without conscience. He will end up cynical and nihilistic. She will have been broken down by the conscience that was not evident at the beginning of the play or the opera, and she will, of course, die destroyed by her own conscience. There is a superstition about the play, or you can't say the name of the play in the theater or whatever. Um, Is there any sort of similar superstition about the opera? There is no superstition about this opera, but there is a superstition about Another opera of Verdi, which I will say it in English because the force of destiny, because if you say it in its Italian original in a theater, they feel the theater's going to fall down or someone is going to have a heart attack. In fact, Leonard Warren died of a heart attack on the stage of the Metropolitan Opera, having sung his great aria from the force of destiny. So who knows? Very interesting. Very much looking forward to this season opening production, new production, and also looking forward to... uh, Placido Domingo singing the role of uh, Macbeth, a, a relatively new role for him. Relatively new for him, old for me, but just as exciting. And Darko Tresniak, our fantastic director, whom I believe has staged Shakespeare's Macbeth twice, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, that is equally important for our audience, too. Uh, those who will remember him from The Ghost of Versailles and from The Dwarf. Uh, the opera of Victor Ullmann, I would say some of our greatest productions have been Darko's. James Conlon is the music director of Los Angeles Opera. Conlon conducts the season-opening new production of Verdi's Macbeth starring Placido Domingo and Ekaterina Semenchuk. Seven performances from September 17th through October 16th. More information is available at laopera.org. This is Behind the Curtain at LA Opera. I'm your host, Brian Lawrenson. Hey.